Welcome to the Heartbreak to Happiness Show with Sara Davison. If you're struggling with a breakup and you feel shocked, angry, betrayed, devastated, or sad and alone, then this podcast is for you. Best-selling author and award-winning host, Sara Davison, shares how you too can get on with your life to heal, grow, and move from heartbreak to happiness. Here's your host, Sara Davison. Welcome back to the show. And today, my guest is Rachel Williams, who is back for part two of my interview with her. When you leave a perpetrator, um, you you know, you've got to do it safely. You've got to make sure that you engage with police, you engage with the domestic abuse service and let that, you know, you are with somebody. They will risk assess you to see sort of what level of risk you're at. And then they will help you put the, the safety plan in place to get you out or get him or her out, you know, because we know women can be abused as well. But, you know, it's a, it's a minority as opposed to majority and do it safely. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you find out what the support is in your community? Well, I would just say either you phone the National Domestic Abuse Helpline and they'll obviously put you through to somebody in your area or just Google, you know, domestic abuse in whatever area you're in, find that service. But, you know, I always say to women that are going to leave a perpetrator, please get in contact. You know, I normally find a, a service in the area, please get them on board to help you. Yeah, and I think it's important you take that advice before you leave. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I've, I've seen clients who have left without the kids with the intention to go back to get the kids, and then that has been catastrophic and maybe yeah. they've never been able to get the kids back. Yeah. So yeah. getting that advice first is important. And also you can be safeguarded as well, hopefully. That would be the aim, right? Yeah, I, mean, I know. involved in it. Oh, yeah, there was tons of peace in my case. But I was going to say then, like Women's Aid, you can go on their forum and it tells you when you're planning what to start putting together as a pack, like your passport, you know, something for uh, your bank, you know, just get those important documents, you know, hidden away ready. Um, But, yeah, that's a good thing to do. But, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, 36 police officers dealt with my case in six weeks. It was shocking. Yeah, I mean, it is. So coming out of that, then, obviously, your confidence is going to be super low because, you know, anyone that suffered abuse, you know, quite a lot of the time, confidence, self-esteem, you're used to relying on somebody else. So all those skills are minimised. You're not feeling confident about anything and you're very fearful. You may have been told you can't survive on the outside. No one will ever love you like I love you. You What are your tips for regaining your strength because you've gone on again and and remarried so I mean a lot of people would think I'd never ever date again after that experience yeah how did you get your life back on track and and get yourself back out there I think I've always been you know my sort of motto was you know I am not and I say it as it is and and you know I do say I'm not gonna let one asshole ruin the rest of my life you know, um, that is really what he would have loved. You know, the fact that he thought I was probably dying in the, in the salon that day. But, you know, the thought of me moving on, remarrying, because that's what he always used to say, you know, imagine the blurred, imagine the blurred if you left me, you know, stuff like that. If you got with anybody else, I come back and haunt you. And it was like, absolutely not. You know, there are, you know, decent people out there there are decent men um and I met Mike on match.com um I don't know whether I 
recommend it or do the same again now I think I was in a moment of madness at the time um but you know we're 10 years on the end of this year so it was quite soon after the shooting and he is Mr Right you know if I had to do it all again now would I have done the same probably not I probably would certainly say to anybody that's been in a domestic abuse relationship do something like the Freedom Programme because you learn about the tactics of the perpetrator, which then gives you the tools to be able to spot one. You know, and I've had um, women who've been on my programmes who've been in new relationships and they're like, mm, my new partner is, is showing quite a lot of these tactics and they have finished with them. Um, so, you know, it's good to be, you know, have those tools in the box to know what to do, what you're dealing with. But, you know, like I said, my glass has always been half full, not as opposed to half empty. And I think we're on this earth for a, a, like an aerosol spray, aren't we? You know, like a and then we're off. Uh, where, where we go next, you know, that's up to you whether you have a faith or not. I certainly do. But but mine was like, do you know what? I'm going to make the most of it. And like, like I said, you know. My mess is my message. I'm a victor, not a victim, you know, and I'm saving, you know, people from getting into bad relationships again by delivering the Freedom Programme. And I'm just enjoying life to the full. You know, I've had the most amazing last 10 years that, you know, I could have ever dreamt of having. I, You know, sometimes I say we've got to kiss a couple of toads to get our prints, you know, and that was certainly the case with me. I let one man's actions, you know, spoil you know, the rest of my life. Oh, absolutely. I love that. And that strength shines through. Tell us a bit more about the Freedom Programme then. It's something you run and, and where can people find their, that programme? So you can either go onto the Freedom Programme uh, website itself or via my uh, website, you can click onto the Freedom Programme you can put in your postcode and see if there's any in-house, but obviously at the moment, everything's on Zoom at the moment. But you can, um, you know, ask me directly if you want to come up on my Zoom. There are the Zooms that, you know, that run it, the facilitators that run it. So it's an 11-week programme, and basically we break down the dominator. So the dominator's made up of the bully, the head, the jailer, the liar, the bad father, the sexual controller, and the king of the castle. And each week we talk about that one particular persona, so the bully, for instance, you know, we know he glares, stares, smashes things, um, you know, so we look at those tactics and what else will he do? Look, you know, he'll block doorways, he'll puff himself up, he'll fire questions at you so fast you don't give him time to answer, cracking his knuckles, tapping, humming, you know, all these tactics. And the women are like, oh, my God, yeah, mine does that. Oh, my goodness, is that, is that a tactic, you know? And you can see the light bulbs going off with these women. Um, so, you know, so we talk, we do that. We talk about that for 11 weeks. And then um, when I get the feedback on the evaluation forms, you know, and they all say that they know, you know, 100% of them have said they are far more clued up they know what to look for going forward and they can see how toxic and how abusive that perpetrator was whether they've been still with them because a lot of women have still done the freedom program whilst they've been with their perpetrators some of them have done it have just been listening in while they've been in the bath 
um, when on my last, when a woman was doing it while she was still in work as a barber, you know, listening to it on her headphones, you know, three women left um, during lockdown after doing the Freedom Programme and, and the mirror covered a great big double spread of it um, last week, which is amazing. And these women have said, if it hadn't been for the Freedom Programme, they don't think they would have left because it really opened their eyes. But it's amazing. I think it just validates everything you've been through. It educates and it certainly empowers. And when you're on, there's something special when you're on a Zoom. Some women have their cameras off, some have them on. Um, and people are feeding into that session. You can see other women are like, oh, that's amazing. You know, they might not be speaking. They're just taking it in. But they, they, they say then, they'll email me and say, I've got so much strength from coming on that Zoom knowing I'm not alone. And it's not me. And it wasn't just me. And it wasn't my fault. Um, so there's something and then the peer-to-peer support as well is something incredible yeah so you put them in touch with each other so they can work together and help support each other so we've got a, a whatsapp group as well and a closed facebook group which is amazing because those that are on the freedom program if they want to join either of these groups they can um and like they'll just share like good practices or they'll share like um a good solicitor um for instance or uh i don't know some good service or if somebody's been to family court and they want to know um how to put their bundles together somebody might say oh well i've just done it this week and i was advised to do it this way perhaps try it this way you know and it's really is supportive and if people are, uh, are having a bit of a down day they're like oh come on now you know chin up you know you can get through today you know and have chats with them it is it's really really empowering it is also because a lot of people don't understand do they so if you haven't been through it yourself talking to other people even friends and family that love you will say come on can't be that bad or are you sure you're not imagining things and that can be very difficult so actually being in a community where people can understand um, I think makes a big difference. How much is it to do the Freedom Programme? And is it only available in the UK? Because I have listeners around the world for this. So is it an international programme? It is. It's free um, because I'm being funded by the Lottery, which is amazing. I currently got three ladies on from America, one in New York, one in Delaware and one in Miami. Um, there was a, two ladies in South Africa and there was a lady in Italy as well. Um, we did have a lady join up from India, but she hasn't come on yet. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, obviously you've got to fit in with the UK times. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's you know, it's, it's out there for everybody. My American lady said, that the, the one particular said, there is nothing like this in New York where she's actually based. Wow. And the fact that it's free is incredible. So, and the lottery is funding it, which is fabulous. So, I know you campaign on on lots of issues, Rachel. Tell us about some of the projects you, you're working on at the moment. So um, I've got five petitions um, at the moment with just under a million signatures on all of them um, combined. Um, the latest one was the non-fatal strangulation, which is now brilliant because there was a few of us pushing to get this as a standalone offence and getting added to the domestic abuse bill, which it is going to be now, which is amazing. So that petition I'll have to take off but the other one is around yeah it's incredible uh the other one is around restraining orders and license conditions basically perpetrators don't adhere to them you know you know how how can anybody expect 
you know, somebody who's abusive and doesn't listen to anything that they're told, you know, by the by the law to do, you know, you're asking somebody who is clearly not well they are in their right mind they're choosing consciously to, to to make these decisions to abuse and then all of a sudden you're asking them to be a decent human being and abide by these rules and regulations you know you're not allowed to breach this restraining order they're like two fingers up to that you know they don't take any notice and because they know there's no deterrent and then you don't get any punishment really I mean you know I've known women who've said to me their perpetrators have, have breached their restraining orders at least half a dozen times and they're still not put in prison um you know they might get a small fine slap on the wrist told not to do it again then it tends to be the victim who's who's reporting it to the police you know and then they've got to go through the rigmarole of right sometimes I've had women say then I've got to produce my restraining order to the police so they know what the conditions are to say whether this has been a breach or not uh so that's the one um the other one is around taking domestic abuse and violence seriously in court, and that was on the back of Judge Mansell a couple of years back when he told his, uh, in his court, he had a, a victim of domestic abuse in there. He said that she wasn't deemed vulnerable because she had a degree in a network of friends. Um, so that is the other petition. The other one is around family courts and CAFCAS. That has got over 200,000 signatures because we know that family courts are enablers, um, basically. You know, perpetrators carry on abusing through the courts. And sadly, I don't think our judiciary system is trained as it should be to deal with these complex cases. Um, I can't agree more with that. I mean, I, I do a lot of work because the you know legal professionals don't have to have any domestic abuse training no in a extremely difficult situation which maybe you don't even understand because you don't have to be an expert in abuse to, to be in a relationship that's abusive so you go to court your lawyer won't understand it your mediator may not understand I mean, god forbid you're going to a mediator if you are in an abusive relationship but i see that all far too often your barrister won't understand it and your judge even even the judges you know don't yeah. have an understanding of it there's I mean some of them may may have some knowledge of it but there's no depth of understanding and, and I know it's difficult for people who haven't been through it and haven't lived it to really fully understand it but just to spot the signs and be able to recognize it rather than dismissing it and letting it go and potentially putting you know mother's children you know, fathers where that's appropriate, in danger, that's just criminal in itself. And then the lawyers become the mouthpiece of the abuse. The barristers become the mouthpiece of abuse. We've got all the mental health fallout from this because, yeah. you know, the, the emotional abuse and the and physical abuse obviously causes a lot of internal trauma for the, for the victim. Mm -hmm. So I don't to have that. Yeah, as I said, I don't understand why the courts don't use professionals domestic abuse professionals when they gather in the evidence you know they'll ask for a psychiatrist to come in and give their report you know they use all other professional people to come in and give their expert opinion why not why are they using you know these uh you know domestic abuse professional people why aren't they using them you know like perhaps uh, maybe like um for instance professor jane monkton smith you know, um, yeah. criminologist, and she knows everything. You know, she wrote the eight stages of the domestic abuse homicide timeline. Why aren't they having expert witnesses in court for domestic and abuse? Then, and then, 
also vetting the experts they do have because the parental alienation experts, for wow. example, often are the ones, because yeah, you rolling yeah. your eyes, you'll be able to see that. She's <laughs> rolling her eyes. But the parental alienation experts that, you know, are perpetrators themselves in a lot of cases yeah. because they, they, they don't believe that domestic abuse exists in many cases. So, yeah. you know, they just don't, don't believe it. So, but they're not vetted. You know, and even though the court process said you should not be biased to be a court expert, you just pay a fee and someone recommends you and you're in as an expert. And then the judge relies on experts, I suppose understandably in some cases, because they're not involved in the case in that much detail, especially when there's so much pressure on courts at the moment. So they rely on their experts, but if their experts are biased or, dare I say it, corrupt, then, then you know, the system is, is based on very shaky ground, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, totally, totally agree, 100%. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I get you. I guess you see this with a lot of your clients on the Freedom Program. Yeah, yeah, the stories are yeah. shocking, shocking. Yeah, and because it's shrouded in secrecy, there's very little that gets out because journalists aren't allowed to write about it, and people aren't allowed to speak about it, and so it just sort of self perpetuates. There's, like you said, there's no consequence. There's no real justice in those cases. So, and yeah. courts are like Teflon. That's why I say nothing sticks. <laughs> They're Teflon. <laughs> yeah, I'm laughing, but it makes me so angry, Rachel. I can't tell yeah. you how angry. Yeah. And like you, I hear these stories day in, day out, and it's just horrific. And, you know, the, the silence that is, you know, surrounding it, it's just not right in this day and age that a lot of these things happen. No. So, so those campaigns are incredible. Where can we go to support you to sign your petitions to find out more about what you're doing? So they're on my website as well. So if there's um, different sections at the top, and just go to the petitions, um, and they're all on there to, to sign and share. And um, one of my ladies this week is asking me to start another petition. I was like, I got petitions coming out of my ears, you know, um, making sure that uh, social workers have domestic abuse training because we know they only have half a day's training, um, which is shocking. And I've had so many social workers message me saying. What can we do? Because as a social worker, I do not have the knowledge and the, uh, and the understanding of domestic abuse and coercive and controlling behaviour. And because of that, I'm making really bad decisions. You know, and that's coming from social wow. workers themselves. Oh, my goodness. Well, they're actually coming forward. I mean, it's incredible that they are because they're asking for help, I guess. I guess the help yeah. isn't there yet to, so that they can be trained. But also, you know, having a training that they have to renew. Like, yeah. you know, surely they should have to maintain a certain standard. It's not they can do a course and then six years later. As you and I know, you know, everything changes so quickly and there's new nuances that need to be brought in and issues that are becoming more prevalent. So it has to be kept up to date, don't you think? Yeah. And I think, you know, it's listening to those with the lived experience. Because I think when you hear somebody who's oh. who's been through it, lived it and, you know, then I think it really brings, you know, that case to life, you know, and I say to police officers, you know, I'm not just a statistic, 
you know, not a, fi a file number in a file. Some this this is a real family, you know. Um, and I say to, and I do try to say to people, you know, if you can go home at the end of your shift knowing you've done absolutely everything you possibly can to make that person safe, and you've put the safety measures in place, or you you know you've had a great understanding, you've listened, you've showed that drop of empathy. If you can go home and say, yeah, I've done everything I've done, I can great i said but if not then you really need to think how would you feel if that was one of your members of your family being left like that with a half a job done yeah absolutely it's an area that i guess is getting more light at the moment because of the pandemic and the rise in domestic abuse so i guess you know one benefit is that it is on the front pages more often and people are talking about it and there are you know a lot of people who are feeling more confident to stand up and and you know, speak out about it. But obviously, you're doing an incredible job, Rachel. And, you know, just a huge thank you from all the people that you're helping, because honestly, you tirelessly are out there campaigning, 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 and you'll find my signature on all your positions. <laughs> so, you know, I'm a big supporter of yours and will cheer you every step of the way um, as much as I can. Now, tell us about your book as well, because I think a lot of people would be interested to read that. Yeah, so I wrote a book and it was ironic really because when um, I was approached by Penguin to, to write a book and I was like, well, I've already written 47,000 words, um, you know, day. Um, just have a little look at it. Um, so they did and they were like, oh yeah, we'd love to, to do a book with you. So I worked with um, an incredible woman um, and um, so we sort of, like she said, you, you've done basically, she said, the hair patch, you've got the spine in the book let's put some more flesh on there so you know she got more out of me for the book which is great um and it was released actually on international women's day when this law is being released march the 8th i said oh my goodness that's international women's day that's incredible and that was in 2018 and i think the first year it sold something like 37,000 copies which is amazing so yeah it's called the devil at home um and it's you know it gives a insight into to my life living with um, Darren, you know, there's some shocking bits in there as well. Um, and I think for professionals who have read it, it gives them another level of understanding of why women certainly don't just leave, you know, why, why in it they just don't just get up and go, um, you know. And also, but I speak about now, you know, the onus is constantly on that victim where we need to really be putting the onus on the perpetrator now. And I think we need to be thinking about campaigns and instead of showing the posters of the battered woman which we all hate uh you know cowering in the corner and everything else I think we need to be doing campaigns around pictures of uh, perpetrators your average guy because they're not a tattoo we don't we, they don't look any different to anybody else in a crowded room you know say you know do, do you stop your partner girlfriend wife whatever going to work do you stop her going out socializing with a friend you know do you choose what clothes she wears blah, blah. are you an abuser then you know let's start putting the onus where it should be and that's on, on the perpetrators and I think we should do campaigns now like that absolutely I think that that would be an incredibly positive step forward and really raise awareness I think that yeah, yeah having the spotlight on the women yeah I can see see the difference there so one last question that I always ask my guests is because my podcast is called Heartbreak to Happiness, I think it's important to understand what happiness is 
as an individual to know what you're aiming for, what you're moving towards. So what is happiness for you now, Rachel? I think happiness for me is being able to make my own decisions and choices. And I think when you come out of an abusive relationship and when I certainly like when I speak to my, my ladies, it's like, you know, they say, you know, my perpetrator demanded to us to be eating at five o'clock. She says, no, no, I'll wait till six o'clock and cook a meal for myself. You know, these little things and, you know, what some people who've got a, a normal, happy relationship or marriage, whatever, that you take for granted, you know, being able to go away with girlfriends for a weekend and not thinking, oh my goodness, I can't do that, you know? Um, and I think it's being able to look to the future, you know, for me, happiness as well is, you know, for things that I'm doing in this arena is to see results happening as well, you know, like the non-fatal strangulation. And I have immense happiness when women have messaged me and said, you know, that food and programming really changed my life. It's given me new hope, you know, and encouragement. And I and I know what to look for now. And I realise I made the right decision moving. So, yeah, I think happiness can be a lot of things, isn't it? I think, you know, just waking up with, with that nice peace, inner peace, I think, is what happiness is. Yeah, I think inner peace is well deserved for you, Rachel. But thank you, Rachel, for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you as a guest. Oh, thanks, Sarah. Lovely to see you again. That's it for today's episode. Be sure to head on over to www.sutdasupster.org to check out Rachel's website. You can also find her on Twitter at Don't Look Back 198 and on Facebook, Don't Look Back. And you can find her book, The Devil at Home, on Amazon and at all good bookshops. And I look forward to you joining me on our next episode. That's it for today's episode of Heartbreak to Happiness. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to win a free ticket to Sarah's virtual Heartbreak to Happiness retreat. This is a transformative combination of live webinars with Sarah herself, coupled with her empowering online video program designed to help you cope better with your breakup and start feeling happy again. For more details, head on over to heartbreaktohappinesspodcast.com, where you can also get a copy of Sarah's gift. Thank you and join us again on the next episode for another dose of Heartbreak to Happiness.